Um, Luke chapter 11, that was, thank you, Deb, that was a great story. <laughs> great story. So we're in Luke chapter 11. Uh, we're a two, a past two and a half years into the three-year ministry of Jesus. Um, it's kind of like, you know, this ongoing collision between Jesus and the Pharisees, but this is kind of the climax of it. It just actually, you know, it's just like the, the, the heads are actually budding here. And Jesus at this point, I mean, this is just kind of an amazing point. It's, a, it's an amazing point and it's also a sad point because Jesus realizes now that the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders are not going to accept him. They have rejected him, thus causing the people to reject him because they were following the scribes and the Pharisees. And we'll see uh, in chapter 12, if you've got your Bibles, you might just, you know, jump over there and just look at it real quick. Uh, but he starts out chapter 12, he's, he starts going beyond the religious leaders. He's given them, you know, obviously Jesus loves everybody. He loves the scribes and the Pharisees and even those that despise him and reject him and those that have rejected his word and rejected him, him as Messiah, he still loves them and still has a heart for them. He still cares for them, but he recognizes that they are not going to accept, accept him. Their hearts have been hardened. Their eyes have been closed. Their hearts are or their ears are, have become deaf. And, and we see that not only, and we're going to see in this chapter, not only are they not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven, but they're going to prevent the, the majority, the majority of Israel, that generation, from entering into the kingdom of heaven as well. And in this particular chapter, he speaks three woes to the Pharisees, those were the religious leaders, and he speaks three woes to the lawyers, and when we think of lawyers, uh, don't think of lawyers like we have today. These are lawyers that studied the Word, the Torah, the first five books of, of Moses, and, and uh, you know, the first five books of the, of the Old Testament. And, uh, you know, they, they gave the interpretation. They told the Pharisees, the, the lawyers were actually uh, a, a part of the sect of the Pharisees. Every, you know, most scholars believe that they themselves were, were Pharisees, but they devoted their, their life and their time to the study of the law and telling people what it meant. And then the Pharisees went out and tried to enforce that. So um, the Pharisees, have, at this point, they've already rejected. And, and this kind of uh, Luke 11 is kind of a correlation with Matthew chapter 12 when the religious leaders said, and the people after Jesus uh, heals, cast a demon out of a mute, a mute uh, man so that he is able to both uh, speak and hear. He was deaf and mute. Um, and, and that was one of the, based on Isaiah 35, it was one of the signs of Messiah, one of these particular signs that only the Messiah would do. When, when the person that shows up and does this particular sign Remember when uh, some of this is going to be a little redundant for some of you, but a couple of weeks ago we talked about that um, there were a lot of things uh, that, that the Jewish uh, religious leaders could do, including um, casting out of demons. And we see that in Matthew chapter 12 when Jesus said that if I cast out demons, uh, you know, then, you know, by Beelzebub, then who do your sons cast out the demons by? By what authority are they using to cast out demons? And so we see that um, uh, casting out demons was part of their, their religion, that they knew about it. We see even in Acts chapter, I think it's around 19 or so, where the sons of Sceva 
are casting out demons and they're using the name of Paul, they're using the name of Jesus, whom they don't know, but they're using that name to cast out the demons. And it says the one man that had the demon uh, jumped on them and beat them up and sent them away bloody and bruised and, and naked. And so, um, so they, they've accused him, and, and the people asked the religious leaders, you know, they said, you know, you've been telling us that when someone comes that can cast out a demon out of a mute person, uh, and, and one of the ways you, got, you guys will remember this, when Jesus meets the Gadarene demoniac and he says that he asked him what his name is, and the man says, my name is Legion, and it was the demons that were speaking through him um, that revealed, you know, who, who they were. And so one of the ways that the Jews and the religious leaders of their day were able to cast out a demon, the first thing that you had to know was the demon's name. And that's why Jesus said, what is your name? The man says, Legion. And so when the religious leaders of that day would cast out a demon, they would have to find out what the name was first. You know, what is your name? It could be a deaf or a mute or, you know, uh, some other type of spirit. And they would command that spirit to come out. Um, one of the signs of the Messiah was that when the Messiah showed up that you wouldn't be able to find out the name of the particular spirit if that person was mute, if he couldn't speak, he couldn't reveal the name of the spirit. And so one of the signs of a person being the Messiah was the one that could cast out a spirit of a mute person. And so when Jesus cast out the spirit of this mute person in, uh, in Matthew chapter 12, the crowd began to say that, you know, this is what they've been preaching. This is what the, the religious leaders have been preaching, that someday somebody's going to show up, they're going to cast out a spirit out of a mute person, and that person is going to be the Messiah. We'll, we'll know that based on what the scriptures say. And so when Jesus cast the spirit out of the mute person, the religious or the people said, is, is, I mean, this is what you've been telling us. Isn't this, isn't this the Messiah? Could this be the Messiah? And then the religious leaders turn their back on Jesus, turn their back on his teachings, turn their back on God's word, which they knew said from Isaiah chapter 35, says that the, that the mute would speak and the, the lame would leap, you know, and jump like, you know, la, uh, fatted calves, the le lepers, leopards would be healed. All of these things were signs of the Messiah. And so when it happened because their hearts were hardened and their eyes could not see and their ears would not believe the word of God, they rejected Jesus, thus causing uh, many of the people to reject him as well. We always know that God has a remnant. So as we plow into um, Matthew chapter 11, let's go. It says, and as he spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. Now, on the, on, when you read that... You know, on the outside, it sounds pretty good. It's like you inviting somebody to your house for dinner. Um, but we, as we read the rest of the story, we're going to find out that, you know, he could care less about Jesus. The only reason he invited Jesus to his house was to trap him. We see that at the end of Luke chapter 11. It says that, you know, they invited him there. We see it even here in this scripture. Um, but they wanted to test him. They were trying to snare him. They were trying to entrap him. It says that he, the Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and sat down to eat. And when the Pharisee saw it, when, it, when, when, he, uh, when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed 
or washed his hands before dinner. And then the Lord said to him, Jesus speaking to the Pharisee, Now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and the dish clean, but your inward parts are full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But rather give alms of such things as you have, and then indeed all things are clean to you. And then he begins these woes. And he speaks three woes to the Pharisees. Let's start with the first one. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe of mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by judgment and the love of God. These things you've ought to have done without leaving the others undone. That was the first woe. So he says to them, now what he's saying is he says, you know, some of you have a little herb garden. You might have one on your windowsill. And, uh, you know, you might have, uh, you know, whatever it is, mint or whatever. They would go through, and, and they were so diligent, they would count out, okay, I got ten uh, mint leaves. Nine of these are for me, one is for the Lord. And when you saw a person doing that, you might think, oh, my gosh, man, that guy is just so committed to God. He's so religious. You know, I mean, look at all the things that he's doing. And who knows? I mean, what you're not seeing is he might not be giving any part of his money uh, to the Lord at all. He might be just doing it. And we'll see later on that Jesus says that almost everything they did was for show. He said, but you pass by the love of God. These things you ought to have done, the tithing, you know, God still expects us to tithe um, without leaving the others undone. And then he says, this is the second woe. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogue and the greeting in the marketplace. Uh, woe to you, your scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you are like graves that are not seen and men who walk over them and are not aware of them. And so, what he's saying is that you remember in the Old Testament, if you touched a dead body or you came near a dead body, there was a whole ceremony. There was a whole ritual that you had to go through. You had to, couldn't come into the synagogue. You couldn't come into the temple to worship. Uh, you had, there, uh, there was a ceremonial uh, ritual that you had to go through. You had to be apart. You had to be separated from people. But Jesus said that, that their lives, the, the, their rejection of him, their rejection of God's word was... Uh, was affecting everyone around them. It was like men that were walking over graves that they didn't even know, making them unclean and defiling them. And so he gives these three, three, uh, three woes. And we see this in the book of, uh, of Revelation. Let me just read it to you. Eight, chapter 8, verse 13. There were, remember, there were the, uh, the opening of the seven seals and then uh, the trumpets, seven trumpets, in the, and then there were the seven uh, bowls of, of judgment. But uh, he says, uh, John is writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he says in chapter 8, verse 13 of Revelation, As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in the midair, calling out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels. And what that represented was judgment. He said that, I mean, it is written, it is written, it is written that judgment is going to come. And that is what Jesus is saying to these Pharisees and lawyers, that you've had your opportunity, you had an opportunity to receive me, you rejected God, my heavenly Father, you've rejected his word, you've rejected the Holy Spirit. In fact, you've even said the works that I'm doing or the, the works that the Holy Spirit that is doing through me is the work of the devil. 
And he says that, woe to you, because judgment is coming to you. Now, we know that God has appointed one man. It says the scripture says that it's appointed to uh, man one time to die, and after that, the judgment. But we know that the one person that God has appointed this judgment to is to his son, Jesus, that Jesus has the authority to judge. And, you know, that number three represents the number of God. And this is not the type of woe, like, whoa, I'm sorry you spilt your milk. Whoa, I'm sorry you got a traffic ticket. Uh, you know, it's not that kind of woe. This is a serious woe, woe, woe. This is a judgment type of woe. And so what he was, you know, getting, what he was speaking to them about was this, this um, and, and what they were concerned about, was this cleansing. I mean, they were, you know, into the washing, totally, you know, the washing of the hands and the feet and the, the cups and all of these things that, you know, just, it was symbolic. You know, we know that the scripture says that the washing by water or the, even the blood of animals or goats or oxen, none of that stuff could ever take away sin. It was only symbolic of taking away the sin. And so, um, I, I just want to point out that, uh, in the, in the Exodus, the Old Testament, uh, chapter 30, this is what the Lord is saying, God speaking to him. He says, uh, he says that you shall make a, a laver of brass and his, foot, and, and his foot also of brass to wash withal. And you shall put it between the tabernacle and the congregation of the altar. And uh, Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet uh, when they go into the tabernacle of the congregation they shall wash with water that they die not. And so why didn't Jesus wash? I mean, was he just trying to provoke a fight? Was he looking to, you know, just kind of like get it on with the scribes and the Pharisees? No, the reason that he didn't wash is because it was the symbolism of washing away of sins. And the other reason was that it was the tradition. It was a tradition of men. Let me show you that. Uh, number one, um, it says, when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he, Jesus, had not first washed. He was eating with unwashed hands. It says, and Mark kind of gives us a little deeper explanation of this. In, Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 7, starting verse 1, it says, The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews, listen to this, do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. Now, keep in mind, this had nothing to do with the Word of God. And, and this is the bottom line right here. What it had to do with was the teaching of the elders or the teaching of men. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they, they wash and they observe many other traditions such as washings of cups and pitchers and kettles. And so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition, not, what, not God's word, but why don't they live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? And he, Jesus, speaks and he says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the, 
the traditions have been. And basically what Jesus is saying is you've set aside the word of God. You kind of made up your own rules and regulations of how to be right, how to be righteous, how to be clean before God, and you've totally disregarded the word of God. And so, uh, you know, it's like, you know, all right, it is game on right now. And I'm, you know, like Jesus is taking the gloves off. And before, you know, he's trying to win them, trying to convince them, trying to persuade them. But now it's like, you know, he sees that their hearts are so hard that they're, they're not going to be saved. They're not going to change their ways. They're not going to believe in him. They're not going to accept him. And Jesus was talking about, you know, he, he's not about the traditions of men at all. At all. Nothing about the traditions of men. You know, and I tell you that sometimes, guys, that we do that today. Let me just give you an example. You know, I, how many of you were brought up in the Catholic Church? Just raise your hand if you would, please. Okay, a lot of you were. All right. I remember when I was brought up in the Catholic Church, you know, a couple of things that I learned was that you don't eat meat on Friday. Eat fish on Friday. How many of you... On Friday, when you're eating meat, think about that. I mean, you ever think about that? Does that, does that thought ever come into your mind? You know, I mean, that's what he's talking about. That, that was like a tradition of men. You know, or my mom would say, you know, I mean, St. Christopher, you're, where are you going? You know, take this with you. This will help you. I mean, it was, a, it was a coin. It was like, you know, had some impression on it. I'm thinking, all right, man, I got it. I'm safe now. You know, it was like these were the teachings and traditions. Listen, I, you know, don't get me wrong. I've got a lot of Catholic friends that I love, and I love Catholics, okay? I love them. Uh, but I, I want to just say that, you know, the truth is that sometimes we can embrace things that are not scriptural and hold on to them. I mean, we see this whole thing with Peter and, and uh, Paul uh, running into Peter and, and uh, Barnabas in the, in the book of Galatians, and Paul says, I had, to, I had to stand to his face. I had to withstand him to his face because he was wrong. Peter was wrong, and he was drawing Barnabas away with him because they were going back to the old traditions of how to be saved, how to be good, how to be righteous, okay? There's only one way for us to be good and to be righteous, and that is through Jesus Christ and his blood only. There's nothing you can do, nothing you can do on your own. All right, so number one, he rejected it. He didn't wash because it was the tradition of men. And the second reason, you know, as I said early or earlier, that the washing was symbolism. It was the symbolism of washing away of sin. Well, if Jesus washed, it would indicate he would be saying to the others that, I've got sin, I'm washing away my sin, but we know that he was sinless. He had no sin, so there was nothing for him to wash away. Listen to the scripture here. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, now listen up, if anyone is in Christ. Anybody in here in Christ? Are you in Christ? All right. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. You are not what you used to be. If you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not what you used to be. The old is gone and the new has come. And all of this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us, it's Paul speaking about 
all Christians and the apostles and the prophets and all believers that he has committed to us, he's committed to you, this message and this ministry of reconciliation. You know, speaking in the men, trying to get them to turn from their sins and their wickedness and turn to God. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. I mean, have you ever, you know, been in one of those conversations with someone, kind of like Ralph was talking about this morning, and just pleading with them, it's just like, man, you got to see this. Please, you got to see this. If you continue down this road that you're on, you're on a road of destruction. You're on a path of destruction. Your journey is a journey of destruction. And unless you turn around, you know, you're going to die in that destruction. It says, and God made him, listen to this. This is what I wanted to get to. And God made him who had no sin, to be sin for us. Speaking about Jesus. See, that the reason that Jesus didn't wash is because he didn't have anything to cleanse. He was already clean. There was no sin in him. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then in 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, it says, but you know that he, Jesus, appeared so that he might take away our sin and in him is no sin. So if Jesus would have gone over and washed and done the ceremonial washing, what he would have been saying is that, you know, I'm doing this washing because I'm a sinner and I'm washing away my sin. But he didn't wash because he didn't need to wash. He had no sin. And the third thing that I wanted to point out, that, um, that, that God is not about, you know, we have a tendency, guys, we all do. We have a tendency to kind of want to dress ourselves up. You know, have you ever heard the expression of putting lipstick on a pig? You know, I mean, it's still a pig. I don't care if it's got lipstick on it or not. It's still a pig. And you know that God is not interested in, in, in how we dress up the outside, what we look like on the outside. Let me share a couple of scriptures uh, with you about that. It says everything they do, Jesus is talking about these religious leaders, everything that they do is for men to be seen. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets, the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted in the marketplace and to have men call them rabbi. It was all about the outward. They dressed up. Everything that, they, you know, the phylacteries, the fringe, it was all about the outward that people would look at them and say, oh man, what a holy man of God he is or what a holy woman of God she is. Look at, you know, just look at her. You can just tell by the way they dress that they're so holy. And, and yet Jesus is saying their hearts were corrupt. Their hearts were like, you know, dead men's bones, you know, that, you know, that, uh, that we have a tendency to just kind of look at the outside. I remember when I was in the military and I was pulling, you know, KP. It was like my first time. I was in basic training and, you know, I, I didn't know what to do. You know, I'm in there, you know, washing pots and pans. And, uh, you know, I, th I was doing my best. I was doing the, the best I could possibly do. And, uh, you know, when I thought I was done, you know, the, the, the head cook comes over. And, and these racks, I'm not kidding you, they're, they're like, you know, eight foot tall. And, and there's rows of them. And the pots are like, you know, four and five gallon pots. And this guy comes over and he kind of feels the pot. And I guess there was a little grease on it or something. I never saw somebody go so crazy in my life. He flipped over every one of those stands. I mean, pots are flying everywhere. And I'm like, oh, mommy, mommy, mommy. I wish I wouldn't, I wish I wouldn't have joined. I want to go home. I, you know, I didn't sign up for this. I thought we were all on the same team. Everybody was going to be nice. We're in the Army together. It's like, oh, my gosh. And I, that's the lunatic in the room. Oh, man, I was just, like, so scared. I was freaking out, like, you know, what do I do now? 
I'm picking up pots for the next half hour. It's like, but, you know, that's the way God is. You know, God's like, you know, I don't care what the outside, the outside of the pot may be, you know, looking good, but if it's greasy on the inside, it's not clean. You know, and that's what that cook was saying. It's not clean on the inside, dude. So I learned my lesson. I don't do dishes anymore. <laughs> all right, all right. I've got way off track. Uh, all right, so um, in Mark chapter 7, he talks about what makes a man unclean. He says, from within and out of men's hearts, you know, it's not, not how we look on the outside, but from within, out of men's hearts comes evil thoughts and sexual immorality and theft and murder and adultery and greed and malice and deceit and lewdness, and envy, and slander, and arrogance, and folly. All of these evil come from inside, and that's what makes a man unclean. And then, after he finishes this, it's kind of like you got the group of Pharisees on one side, and then you got the group of the lawyers on the other side. And then one of the lawyers answers and said to him, Teacher, by saying these things, you reproach us, reproach us as well. You insult us. You condemn us. You bring this into the same loop that you're bringing the Pharisees in. And like Jesus, like, oh, really? Really? Is that what you think? Is that what you think? Well, you're right. I am bringing you in. Woe to you lawyers. And then he speaks these three woes to the lawyers. For you load men with burdens that are hard to bear, and you yourselves do not... Touch the burdens with one of your fingers. And just to, an example of this, you know, they would take God's law, like, for example, the Sabbath law. God, God just simply said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it, you know, to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor, the seventh day you shall do no work. And so, but what these guys started doing to the Sabbath day, they started adding all of these things, what you could do on the Sabbath day, what you couldn't do on the Sabbath day. You could only take so many steps on the Sabbath day. You could only carry so much weight on the Sabbath day. Now, just think about it. You know, like if, you know, if you could only take so many steps on the Sabbath day and you wanted to be in church here, you know, let's just assume for a moment that we're Jews and, and today's Saturday. So if you wanted to be in the synagogue today, Saturday, and, and you lived, you know, uh, uh, several miles away, well, it'd be too far for you to journey. So you'd have to journey the day before, find a place to stay. I mean, you'd have to quit your job. You'd have to quit, you know, your work early, leave the fields early or leave the, uh, the marketplace early just to come, you know, so you weren't breaking the laws. And he said, you just, they just kept adding weight and weight and weight. And that's why Peter says, you know, why are you trying to put a yoke on these Gentiles that we or our fathers haven't even been able to keep ourselves? Why would you want to do that? And that's what the, the position of the lawyers were. And that's what Jesus is saying to them. Woe to you. You load men down with burdens that are hard to bear. And you yourself, you're not even keeping these rules and regulations yourself. Um, and then he says, the second thing he says to them is, woe to you. Woe to you, law, lawyers, for you build the tomb of the prophets and your fathers killed them. In fact, you bear witness and that you approve of the deeds of your fathers, that they indeed killed them. You build their tombs, and therefore the wisdom of God also says that I will send them prophets. Now listen to this, and apostles. That word apostle doesn't appear in the Old Testament. It's only a New Testament word. And God is saying that I'm going to send them prophets and apostles, and some of them you will kill and persecute. But he says that from the blood of all the prophets which was shed, 
from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. You know why it's going to be required of that generation? The generation that he was talking to there, that generation, that day that Jesus was speaking to that, those men, it was that generation that he was speaking to because all of the prophets, all of the pages of the Old Testament, all of the stories, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph in prison, all of those stories pointed to Jesus. And, and the prophets came and, and, and they prophesied and, and pointed to Jesus. And so when, you know, the religious leaders or the political leaders didn't like them, they would kill the prophets. And, and, and then so when they finally get to Jesus, when Jesus finally comes on the scene, they kill the very one that the prophets were speaking about. And Jesus is saying that all of the blood from, all, from, from Abel, you know, I love the way that he says this. Uh, let me just read it here, verse 51. From the blood of Abel, which we find in Genesis, to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple. Now notice that. I mean, is this clever of God? Notice Abel starts with A and Zechariah starts with Z. From A to Z and everything in between, all the prophets in between, you're guilty of. You're guilty of killing this generation is responsible for. And he says, and it will be re re required of this generation. And then I want to move on. I'm going to move on quickly here. It says, um, I, mean, I covered that part about the apostles. He's just saying, uh, not only, you know, have you rejected the past generation of prophets, and this is kind of an interesting side note. One of the things that the lawyers did, one part of their responsibility, was to keep up the graveyards, especially of the prophets. So they're decorating and cleansing and washing the tombstones of the graves of the people of the prophets that their fathers killed. Is that ironic? Is that crazy? I mean, our fathers killed them, and now we're going to decorate and keep clean the tombs. And then he goes on to say, the third woe for the lawyers is that you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourself, and those that were entering, you hindered. And he said these things to them. Now notice, this all started out with a nice little dinner invitation. <laughs> and he said these things to them, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him vehemently, began to cross-examine him about many things, lying in wait for him, seeking to catch him uh, in something that he might say that they might accuse him. This is the whole purpose. This is the whole reason that they had invited him to dinner. Um, so what did he mean when he says that you have taken away the key of knowledge? What is the key of knowledge? Well, knowledge was the truth about the Word of God. And they have taken away... Uh, they were supposed to interpret the Word of God. They should have known what the Word of God was saying about the Messiah. They, they should have known it to the point that when the Messiah showed up, that they pointed people like John the Baptist did. John the Baptist says that, you know, there's one standing here whose shoes I'm not even worthy to stand down and untie. And then the next day he says, there is the Lamb of God that's going to take away the sins of the world when he sees Jesus. And as soon as he said that, I mean, John's disciples were so well trained. As soon as they heard that, John had been preaching to them and telling them, you know, at some, at some point the Messiah is going to show up. And when he shows up, I'm not the one that you're going to follow anymore. Don't follow me anymore. When I, when I point him out to you, you begin to follow him. And I mean, just like, I mean, without hesitation, I mean, just, I, John says, there's Jesus. Man, they're like, thank you, John. Hello, Jesus. I mean, and that's the way that it should be. 
And that's what Jesus is saying to these, uh, these lawyers and the Pharisees, these religious leaders, that you have taken away the key of knowledge, the truth. You've hidden the truth. You've suppressed the truth in rejecting me and rejecting my work, rejecting my Father and rejecting the works of the Holy Spirit. So how do we change? And this is really what I want to focus on this morning. How do we, you know, I, I mean, how do, how do we not be like them? You know, he says, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish is clean, but the inward parts are full of greed and wickedness. So how do we, how do we change? Well, I want to just tell you guys that it's really simple. I mean, it's really simple. And it's not, we don't change by following the rules and regulations. You know, all, all the things that the scribes and the Pharisees that were trying to get, you know, the people to do to look religious, but they really weren't religious because even doing those things, their hearts were still evil and corrupt on the inside. Jesus pointed that out. But so how, how do you change? If you're, you know, you're a believer and you've been walking with the Lord for a while, but you're still struggling with some things in your life, how do you change? I want to just give you one example right here. And the, and the Bible is just full of hundreds of examples of just like this right here. This comes from Matthew chapter 20, verse 30. There were two blind men that were sitting on the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? And I'm going to ask you that question this morning. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do? I want you to hear it like Jesus is asking you this morning. What do you want me to do for you? In their case, they said, Lord, our sight, we want our sight. And, you know, just boom, Jesus, I mean, he didn't argue with them. He, he didn't say, you, you know, you hadn't been blind long enough. You haven't begged on the side of the road long enough. You haven't just, like, been in the dirt long enough. You haven't repented long enough. You haven't paid penance for what you've done. You know, you need to just stay blind for a little while longer. It was just like, no. It was, no, it was just, yes, my heart, yes, I have compassion on you. I got compassion on you. And I would ask you the question again, what do you want me to do for you? And so if you got a drug problem this morning or an alcohol problem or a pornography problem this morning or adultery or fornication or homosexual problem this morning or rage or unforgiveness or bitterness or anger, whatever problem that you had this morning, I, you need to do just what those two blind men did. Lord Jesus, Jesus, you can't fix yourself. Let me, hear me. You cannot fix yourself. If you could, you'd already been better. You'd be fixed. You'd be well, right? You can't fix yourself. So quit trying. And what you need to do is what the two blind men did. He said, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. This is an area in my life that I'm struggling with. Now, I want to, um, I want to go to this video, if you guys would just kill the lights for just a second. It's a Matthew West video, or it's, a, it's actually just a song. But I, I want you to take these words to heart for a sec, and then I'm going to come back and I'll wrap it up. My name is regret 
our prayer ministers, if you guys will come up, and i got just a couple more scriptures I want to share. If you guys would just come up, please, right now, take your places. Um, so we're talking about, you know, how do, how do I change? How do I, change? How do I you know, get beyond where I am right now? Uh, Ezekiel chapter 36, this is what God said. He says, he said I'm going to give you a new heart. A new heart I will give you. And a new spirit, spirit I will put within you. And I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I'll give you a new heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit. I will put my spirit. Talking about God's Holy Spirit. I will 